the world of investments is a fluid one with volatility the order of the day in these times. The usual advice tends to be that investors should be well diversified in terms of the asset classes that they've put their money in, as well as issues like geographical diversification. But when's the right time, if ever, to start reviewing your investment strategy or choices? Last year, when the markets plunged, some chose the strategy to exit assets and may well be regretting that decision given the massive improvement in valuations in recent times. Well, to discuss some of the factors to consider when re-evaluating one's investment choices, I'm joined on the line by Jaco van Tonda. He's the Director of Advisory Services at 91. Thanks very much, Jaco, for joining us. So what are some of the typical signals an investor needs to look out for to re-evaluate their investment strategy or choices? I know, yes. It's always an interesting conversation. Um, the discussion around when should one make an, a change to your investment portfolio and when should you not. And I, I think we always take a lot of time and effort to explain to investors that uh, the things that you would normally think about that should trigger a relook at your investment portfolio, like, for example, disappointing performance in the last six months or over the last year mm. in absolute terms. We explain to people in great detail that those emotional responses are really not the way to look at your investment decisions and your investment portfolios. But we don't spend much time talking to people about what they should be looking at. Yeah. So I think that's the important point is if it's not emotions around short-term performance and angst because your portfolio hadn't performed as well as as your friends or, or one of your um, one of your family members, mm. then what is it that you should be looking at? And really, from our perspective, there's probably around there's three main areas that we believe you should uh, pay attention to when you are looking at your investment portfolios. The first area is really around the firm that you've appointed to manage part or all of the money uh, that you have invested. Yes. People often forget that when you buy investment management, you're buying people and skill. You're buying people who sell you the ability to beat a passive index. Mm -hmm. And so you need to hold them to that standard. Are they beating that passive index over time? And and how do they do that? They do that with high quality people, skill and process. That's so whenever right. something happens to an investment management firm that is managing part of your portfolio, something in the space of senior executive departures, uh, changes in uh, the way that people manage money or the way that they talk about the managing money or sometimes even changes in the ownership structure can all be signals that an investment management firm could be at a T-junction and could be making wholesale changes that would affect really the essence of your investment performance, which is the skill and the capability of the people that that manage the money. So that's Mm -hmm. always the first one to have a look at is for any major announcements around significant changes uh, in, in fund manager. The second one that I think is also fairly uh, easy for people to, to keep uh, track on is, is the size of the portfolio and the fund management firm. And size is an interesting discussion because it's, it's a case of being either too large or too small, both have their disadvantages. Obviously, if you invested with a small fund manager, your investments could make up a substantial proportion of the portfolio, which has got risks like liquidity and being able to get in and out of your investments can become challenging. Mm. Um, And on the other side, if your investment management firm or the fund that you're in uh, of of a particular firm is really large, uh, then it becomes progressively more difficult for that fund manager to achieve their primary objective, which is to outperform uh, some relevant index. Let me interject there, Jacko, and just ask, I mean, if you've got the requisite skills, does size really matter? 
it is linked to the, to the type of mandate that you've got, but there's enough evidence to prove that in many mandates that South African investors would be invested in, specifically domestically, uh, that you do definitely run into size limitations. And mm. these size limitations are often caused by um, by the distribution of the size of the shares on the stock market. So the bigger a fund becomes, the more and more difficult it becomes for that fund to take meaningful positions in smaller share issuances. Mm-hmm. And those have been shown over time to definitely have some impact. Many large fund managers will tell you that it varies by mandate. So if you are invested in an investment fund that tries to track the LC40 index, which is the biggest 40 shares on the JSC, then sure, it's, a much, it's much easier to run a large fund. And similarly, if you're invested in a fund that is tracking the international uh, MSCI or, say, world index, then again, it's easy to uh, run a large fund against a benchmark like that. But if you're running a South African balance fund or a South African equity fund or even something in a very specific sector um, like property or mid-caps, it can become a problem if the fund is too large. Yeah. So, so so size of manager and size of fund, something to keep an, an eye on. And also, uh, in, if there are substantial changes in the size of a fund that a manager is managing. Uh, so it's not just the absolute size, but any changes in the size, because those could be indications that there are big cash flows in and out of the portfolio that make life more difficult for the investment manager as well. Yeah. So because it's an easy number to obtain, it's a good number to keep an eye on. So how do you assess whether you're still getting value for money, especially if you're somebody who isn't very, um, you know, you're not very uh, conscious about what's happening with your investments. You'll have a look at your statements, you know, once every six months or whatever it may be. I think, I mean, you need to spend some time. And if, if people, um, some people are very interested naturally in investments yes. and they take a keen interest in what's happening to their money. For those people, the, you know, offering up tips around looking at um, news around your investment manager, the size of the portfolios, the skill level of the portfolios, if you're naturally interested in those things, it's easy to check them yourself as long as you check for the right points. If it's not your natural, um, your, your natural inclination to look at investments and, and understanding investment markets, then really it's around appointing someone to do their job on your behalf. And, and if you have a reasonable investment amount, it pays in any way to have a financial advisor to help you see through the tax and other estate planning consequences of what happens to your investments. So because you probably should have an an advisor for those reasons alone, it's a good idea to bounce these same questions off that same financial advisor and they'll be able to give you some pretty good insights and tips um, around whether your portfolio contains maybe some managers that need a reason. Yeah. Coming to the substantive issues, does this period right now qualify as a possible time to reconsider investment strategies given the change in US Treasury yields and a very real expectation by market players that higher inflation is an inevitability? And if so, where do you see the asset class shifts happening? Happening in these times? So we talk in investment management terms about the great rotation between momentum and value. Now, it sounds really complicated, but really what it means is that in the last 10 to 15 years, the parts of the stock markets all over the world, not just in South Africa, mm. that have really performed well have been the tech, new generation, healthcare biotech. Uh, we call them the momentum shares because these are shares in newer technologies and newer industries. But there's not yet a lot of profit, but there's an enormous amount of growth. Mm-hmm. 
and people buy the growth story. Uh, think about Tesla. Think about Facebook. Yes. You know, for a long time, people bought a growth story before there were earnings, and the earnings are only coming through now. Yeah. Now, that's been a feature of the investment landscape for the last 10 to even 15 years. People have bought the growth stories, and they've neglected the commodity shares. They've neglected a lot of the industrial shares that used to be the, the hallmark of, of economies all over the world. Mm. And what, we, what, what many in market pundits are talking about now is what they call the great value rotation out of those high growth um, stocks and, and tech stocks into more real economy shares that are more connected to the real economy and that could provide you with a much better inflation hedge, for example. I mean, that is the big question. Would, is, is, is the monetary stimulus policies that are being deployed post-COVID all over the world, are those going to be causing inflation in some, um, in some countries? Yes. You see the oil price and the commodity prices recovering, and it's great when the platinum price and the gold price goes up, especially for commodity countries like South Africa. Mm-hmm. But you must also think about the oil price. With oil price at 70 or, or maybe even 80 or $90, what does that imported inflation do to a country's economy? And could that spark off a structurally higher period of inflation mm-hmm. uh, in, in first and, and third world economies? And if that is the case, um, as many, many pundits are starting to signal it could happen, what, that, that would definitely mean a change in the way that portfolios are invested and definitely a change in portfolios more to things that hedge against inflation and perhaps a little bit less that that, that um, build upon a, a growth story in a new and, and vibrant economy. Yeah. And, and those two are playing off against each other at the moment. Lastly, diversification is a mantra that's often hummed by people of your ilk, and that includes geographical diversification. What's the balanced way to invest as a South African investor? And presumably that will very much depend on how asset managers view offshore versus domestic value? Yes, um, a really topical discussion point at the moment in our industry, no doubt about that. Historically, um, if you ask that question to many fund managers, many of them would have said that they would be happy uh, on, a, on a mandate for a South African investor to have the ability to place 30, maybe 35% of the investment offshore. Mm-hmm. The, this, the nature of the returns available in South Africa was such that you didn't really need to take more offshore to generate a really good diversified return for the South African investor. Hmm. That's changed, and it's changed because the international markets have grown much more substantially, whereas for reasons that we're well aware of in South Africa, our domestic economy has been anemic for a better part of a decade. And because of that, our listed shares and the options on our, on our stock market um, have really gone sideways for yes. the last 10 years. So if you ask investment managers the same question, more and more seemingly, are seemingly starting to indicate that they believe people should have around 50% of their free investment portfolios in offshore-related assets. And it's a function of the fact that uh, the SA market has just not grown as much as the offshore market. And it's also a function of the investment returns and in sectors and industries available offshore that are increasingly becoming difficult to access in South Africa. That was Jaco Fantonda. He's the Director of Advisory Services at 91.